always start at the beginning. Welcome everybody to No Cure for Curiosity. It's a new podcast we put together. We're going to talk about what it explores. We're going to introduce ourselves first and foremost. Uh, we're all very creative individuals, or we like to think of ourselves that way from what we've done and what we continue to do. My name is Dan Chichester. I have been a writer for as long as I can remember. That writing has come forward in many different forms, uh, from editing and writing comic books for Marvel Comics, many big publishers, and across the last many years from being a creative director uh, and a creative implementer and a creative doer and a creative maker within the advertising space. And I have here two of my dear, dear friends and colleagues, and they're going to introduce themselves. Marco? Yo, hey, brother. Um, well, there's two creatives on the phone, and then I fake it. So uh, <laughs> I've been faking it a hell of a long time, and until somebody calls me out on it, I will uh, continue to do so. Uh, I am, let's see, so far I've faked out the playwriting industry. I've had uh, four plays published, about three or four monologues published, and then I... Uh, Moved over to filmmaking because I got cheap enough to do that and uh, continue to uh, uh, keep pulling the wool over people's eyes. I've had some films in various festivals in which Dan has acted and worked, and I'll drag Bradison in at some point. And um, that's been a blast. And let's see, let's see. Oh, then I try to make a living doing freelance copywriting and ad agencies and web agencies and content agencies and uh, storytelling agencies, which we will discuss. And uh, um, that pays the bills while I do all the creative fun stuff. Jeffy. Awesome. So my name is Jeff Bradison. Um, where do I begin? Um, I've been in this business pretty much, I think, from when I was a teenager. Um, so a bit of an oddity. I grew up around advertising. Um, my dad was a... Um, creative director and a advertising agency manager um, for as long as I can remember when I was a kid. And then uh, I think I was 17 years old and I started um, working in advertising on a liquor account, no less, uh, which is kind of a funny story unto itself. Uh, since then, I've you know been working at different agencies um, through the years as a creative director, a creative leader uh, in print, TV, digital, social media, uh, you name it. Uh, I'll get my hands on it. Um, you know, I work more on the art direction and design side of things, so I might have a, a slightly different point of view, but that's the that's the, the beauty of us all getting together to talk about this stuff is I think each one of us is going to have a certain different angle on things. Um, I'm currently freelancing, working with a number of agencies, which is kind of interesting and fun. Um, get to kind of get my hands on some projects and uh, experience a lot of different things. So, um, yeah, it's been awesome. And I love the fact you brought up the, uh, the acting, Mark, you know, because this... No Cure for Curiosity is about all sorts of different creativity, and I don't want to uh, you know, let that part go because that's an interesting thing that uh, you helped reawaken in me. Uh, Mark invited me to be one of his films, said I could be the, the torturer and instead uh, add me, had me be the victim. You know? So there's a, <laughs> there's a fine sense of bait and switch that, uh, that exists between us. But, uh, well, you, you start off as a chop shop guy, uh, and that's when I discovered you're a true animus and your true uh, anger that you needed to get out in your evil world. So uh, I loved it. I, I think anger, anger fuels a lot of things sometimes. you got to make it a force, <laughs> a force for good. Uh, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about why we're calling this No Cure for Curiosity and, and where that kind of comes from, because I think that's going to frame out everything that we're going to try to do in the next bunch of minutes and hopefully the next bunch of episodes 
uh, to come. Uh, Mark, you had a really great point of view around uh, around this, around kind of really making us feel that this needed certain types of direction and certain types of focus. Do you want to maybe grab that a little bit and start talking about? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so we, as you guys know, we we went around in circles for a little while trying to figure out what what we were going to do. And since our commonality is the fact that we all um, make a living in advertising and media and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes we make a living with our very creative endeavors, such as playwriting or comic book writing or photography. You know, the day to day has been uh, working for clients. And so we were trying to figure out, is this going to be a how to how to make a living in creativity? And it will be some of that. And then we were saying, but you know what? Our guess is as good as anybody else's. So guess what? We have a ton of experience trying to cobble. And, and in some cases, these guys, you know, Dan and Jeff have been at the top of top agencies and continue to do work at that level. And I've been freelancing a lot of different shops. Doesn't make us authorities. So what was the commonality? And I think for what I heard and what I think would make this interesting is we all just have even though we're well past being kids, we all just have that kids, but kids uh, at heart, kids at heart, things that the kids at heart. Yes. Exactly. And I think, I think it's our curiosity for everything under the sun um, that, uh, that is creative. What we, and, and sometimes it's, you know, the most mundane things that we find creative and how they were done. And sometimes that's going to mean, uh, you know, it's something that could help somebody you know, figure out a little bit of a career move. Sometimes it's something that's just uh, makes them have a better day. And sometimes it kind of pushes them in a different direction. But at the very least, it pushes us in directions because that's what we've been doing informally. And now we figured, you know, it'd be fun to kind of pool our resources and see where that curiosity for creative leads us. And, you know, just to kind of blow, you know, just talk about Jeff a second. I mean, he inspired <laughs> me because he's, He's all over the map with, you know, his music, which is, you know, all over the web with his uh, production uh, um, music that he licenses, his photography that I've told this bonehead to go out and uh, <laughs> I do a video for him. So because it's such beautiful work and everything he gets himself into. And, uh, and and then we even had a debate. Well, why do we do this? You know, why, why do we do creative things? Why do other creative things inspire us and some? Sometimes it's just in the blood, and that's where, you know, it is kind of this curiosity about all things creative, some that can help your career, some that may kind of screw it up or fuck it up or whatever, but <laughs> it's still about us, you know, sharing what we, we find to be amazingly creative and the fact that all three of us have somehow um, um, put that creativity that we have to, to use and to see other people do it or people who struggle but still do amazingly creative work and need to have a, a shout out is, is really, uh, that's really became the, the theme because that's endless. You know, that's endless. And uh, that's Agreed. what still excites mm -hmm. us. So long-winded answer, Dan, but that's yeah. kind of where we ended up. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I think it's, uh, it's really important, you know, to, to me, to all of us. I think that's why we landed here. And hopefully anybody listening is in the same boat that, you get into the day to day and you, you very easily, I think sometimes forget why you're doing it. You're doing it for money. Maybe if it's within a career thing or maybe you're doing it for somebody else. And I think having that drive of what that curiosity leads you to, 
creatively is what has to fuel you, whether you are doing it for yourself or you're doing it for for others. There's something still that needs to be at the heart of who you are and why you do it that that makes it makes it interesting. Um, and part of that is uh, as part of the structure, if we're going to be like true to what we sort of said and not talk about ourselves too much is is maybe get into the the theme of this episode you guys want to jump in there or are we uh yeah re- yes okay <laughs> so we do have themes we've got a whole list of them um maybe we'll even have a next episode thing but the first one we wanted to kind of jump into uh it's a little bit morbid uh but it's called the death of storytelling and is that true is there a question mark after that is there an exclamation point after that is there a, a dot 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 uh you know jeff uh, you know you've uh You've had a chance to listen to us ramble a bit. You want to yeah. jump in on, on, are we having a funeral? Or are we having a, a resurrection? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a funeral or a resurrection. I think, um, I think storytelling is, is more than alive. Um, you know, but I think over the years, it's certainly evolved. Um, you know, and like I said earlier on, when I was introducing myself, I've been in this business for a long time, you know, even before digital existed. Um, so I've had the, the the fortune to kind of see how um, storytelling has evolved, and it's evolved radically over the years. You know, um, a long time ago when I was first in, the, in my career, storytelling kind of took place um, from beginning to end in basically in, in 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 one place, be it print or TV or direct marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then as digital came onto the scene. Um, it, it kind of evolved storytelling, you know, not radically, but it started to evolve it. You know, those traditional media outlets, TV, like I said, and print and direct mail, um, the story would start there. And then um, people would use digital, be it a website, a banner, email, whatever the tactic might be, to kind of start to tell a little bit more of a detailed story or continue the story. You know, that was kind of a very, I guess it was like a, a 1.0 of the storytelling evolution. Um, which kind of harkened back a little bit to direct mail and how they, they, um, you know, kind of approach things. Um, You know, today I think storytelling has has shifted yet again. And I think the most radically, um, you know, and I think it's, it's come in reaction to having to conform to the behavior of today's consumers, right? You know, it has to be very immediate Mm -hmm. and consumers have attitude. You better know who I am and you better be ready to respond. Right. So, so it's so let me let me ask you something while you're while you're because yeah. I'm just you know, you've mentioned like in the business and we all know we've been in advertising, you you've schooled us, you know, by being <laughs> in advertising three times as long as all of us. But I mean, do you feel like the storytelling challenge and everything else? Is it is it is it just because of where advertising's going, or is it is it also the way the world is perceiving storytelling i only have six seconds right yeah i i I, I don't have any attention span i gotta binge this i gotta jump here like we're like it's a lot of that i think it's it's a a crossroads of a lot of different things i think it's um it's one part behavioral Mm -hmm. um and that people's um i think are less tolerant to longer stories they don't have the time Mm -hmm. and they're being bombarded by so many things um right you know everybody's looking for a lot of instant gratification and looking for a story that's going to be really quick um, and relevant to them. Right. That's the other part of it is, you know, analytics is playing a huge role in the way that we sure. see things. You know, a lot of stories follow us. You know, you're on online and you're yep. searching one thing, you go to another place and that story is kind of following you and you're kind of being constantly reminded right. of something that you looked at in the past. So I'm going to um, be a contrarian for just one second yeah. and the, sure. Mark is going to 
jump on this and and be the real contrarian, you know, because <laughs> but you know, I just listened to a to a forty hour audiobook on on Grant. It was by the author uh, uh, Chernow who wrote the Hamilton book. Oh like yeah, that, Hamilton. That, yeah, that that's not like short form, right? I mean, no. forty hours <laughs> is like you know that's quite a, that's quite a, right. a serious quite a commitment. Down. So yeah. how how do we how do we I don't know like how do we perceive like those things between the short attention span and the need for this with mm-hmm. an accomplishment like that? So, I mean, I think there's two different things there in play. One is, you know, you can be a consumer of mm-hmm. a story. Mm-hmm. In other words, you're the one seeking out the story and you're right. really interested in it. Right. And to be able to sit through and enjoy a 40 hour story, it's gotta be something that really relates to you and something that you're reaching out to and get it. Mm-hmm. The stories I'm talking about where they're six seconds and, and or less and you've got to make a connection with someone, those are stories that are getting pushed at you. Okay. You're not, you're not asking for them. They're getting pushed at you. Right. That's a difference, I think. Um, you know, it's a behavioral difference and, and certainly a different mindset, you know, in one you're trying to, you know, think, make an impression on someone and another one you're, you're, you're interested, you're interested in, in, um, Right. I, I indicated an interest in that. And then they had to maintain that interest, right? If it yeah, hadn't been yeah, great, it was not going to be something I was going to stick with. But I leaned into that before it reached out to me. Right. Exactly. But I, uh, I want I want to jump in and say, I think there's two, like we're on different planes here. And, 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 and that's cool. I think, Jeff, I, if I'm hearing you right, yeah. what you're saying is the vehicle for telling a story has changed dramatically. And it's not that the old school ways of telling the story have gone away. No, it's just no. that there's all kinds of new ways to have a story that you can tell. Mm-hmm. And also I want to make the, the distinction and I'm going to get into this a little bit too. When we say story, right. Um, Jeff, you're, you're, you're talking about from a business point of view, which is generally, um, you know, like like if you're talking about pushing a story to somebody, you're trying to persuade them of something. That's exactly. classic advertising. Yep. And yeah. that's, that's, that's totally I'm totally with you. There's there's very different ranges of stories. Right. Like there's some but, stories that are entertaining, like a movie, it's two hours, right. or, or in Dan's case, forty hours. <laughs> you're, you're looking you're looking to hear that story. You want that story. We're right. not talking about something entirely different, which is I've got a story to tell and I want you to hear it. But but is that a story? And that's the question I have. Or is that an ad mm-hmm. or a promotion? And that's the that's the key thing. And that's where I think I'm probably jumping ahead to my subject, yeah. so we can go back and forth and bear with me here. But that's where I'm having problems. And my whole point is I'm having problems with the whole freaking word storytelling. Because mm-hmm. why is your why is um, if somebody looks if some kid at a college who wants to be you know was an artist and says I have a six-second vine, and you could find them. I want to. I want to get people to laugh. Or I want to get people to cry. Or I want to get people to say, "Holy shit! What the hell was that?" Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's somebody's trying to tell a story. Jeff, your photography, and I always say, I love your stuff. You know that. Uh, Thank you. Of of uh, you know of of that young lady. I don't know if I could say it's your daughter, but anyway, you're, that young lady with butterflies. <laughs> just just so long as it is his daughter, then you can say. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it, it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I could do that. Okay. That's that photo, that image that you created hit me a million different ways Mm -hmm. as a story. Mm -hmm. And and they all have great stories behind them. Right. And it doesn't always have to be 
point A to point Z and, and I just connect the dots. It could mm-hmm. be stuff that just stays in my mind and it's interpretive. Right. That's a story. And that didn't have a word in it. And that's a glance. A six second thing is a story. But I don't know if you if, if we're saying that if it's a way that we push something at you and it's you know, it's there, you know, it's a six second spot that appears or or uh, uh, what do they call them when you're in YouTube and you get the four seconds and then you can cut it off preload or whatever yeah, that's called. Yep. Okay. So if that's an ad, that's the problem I'm having with the word whole, the whole word storytelling. If it's in the business and someone says, Hey, we got to pedal these shoes. Mm-hmm. And then I want to show this beautiful shot of shoes. That's not a story. That's just look at these great shoes you can buy. Yeah. If, and, and, and that's the, 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 the uh, vehicles for doing it have, as you said, they've changed dramatically and that's wonderful, right? Yep. You know, it's the four second thing. It's, it's uh, preload. It's, it's right. uh, whatever you want to go. But storytelling, a good story um, is, you know, uh, again, you could have read a bad biographer doing Grant and falling asleep like we read in every college or high school education history class. Mm-hmm. Or you can get a guy like Chernow, uh, what, Chernow right? Is that his Yes, that's the author, yep. Mm-hmm. Right. You can get a guy like that who brings that stuff to life and enthralls you about Grant as he enthralled Lin-Manuel um, uh, Morales about Hamilton that inspired him to do his his uh, uh, play, uh, his musical. Right. So that's the segue into my pet peeve is <laughs> I hate the word storytelling now. I absolutely hate it because well, everybody's a story. Everybody, well, I, I, you know, we're storytellers at this ad agency. Or we, yeah. we, and they don't, they don't really want to tell a story. They just want to push stuff at you. And that's perfectly fine. That's business. That's, you know, we're going to make a beautiful thing that you're going to notice. And you're going to know that you want to buy Nike sneakers or you want to buy uh, this drug, you know, that kind of thing. Mark, you're definitely onto something, you know, like the the kind of cringe factor there is sometimes when you're talking about storytelling is there's so much out there that I think just steps on the idea of true storytelling. A lot of things that um, just are trying to get things out there quickly and they're just saying what they do or how they do it or what they are. And they never get to the heart of it. They never, you know, all of us know classically, like if you want to tell a story, tell me why you're doing something, right? That's a powerful way of kind of communicating. And I think there are, are the majority don't do that. And I think it's starting to, I think you and like many other people, it's starting to kind of erode at the idea of, of true storytelling. Storytelling can still be done very quickly, but um, the idea of how it's done these days is sometimes, it's, it, it, you know, gets beat up a little bit so you know we're talking about you know and we've talked about this before like so storytelling is being hijacked by maybe people in advertising or marketing and or promoters right everybody wants to do it and then i was saying that you got other people who are saying oh now storytelling is no good for me anymore i got to come up with my own make-believe words now i got to be a, <laughs> a story doer or a story <laughs> maker, you know but but yeah. but storytelling you know that's how i've always perceived myself these feel, I feel like this is what I've always done. So then do we now give up the word? Like Mark, you say you hate the word, but do we give it up because a bunch of people who don't actually practice a storytelling craft perhaps have tried to hijack it? Or do we, do we insist on, on stealing it back and holding and holding line for what it, it really could and should mean? 
Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question. I hate to lose the word because it's like anything. It's it's you know it's the 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 golden phrase. I mean, it's it's like anything else. I mean, words that are cliches now um, in other areas had you know had value at one point, but they get you know to that glaze factor. And uh, and you're right, Dan. I mean, you 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 wrote comic books and 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 you know Marvel epics that. You know, people read those were stories and those are just that was, you know, just basic, a great story with a great artist to illustrate them or, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and so you you've earned the right to call yourself a storyteller. <laughs> well, not and according think, to some readers, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I think what pisses me off is if you're going to call yourself a storyteller, mm-hmm. figure out what the fuck goes into a story. Yeah, like like. Like there's a beginning and there's an end and there's conflict. And I don't care if you want to have comedy. I don't care if you want to have, you know, beautiful, you know, still imagery. You need to have a sense of tension or there's nothing to be resolved. And this is basic stuff. And also if you're a storyteller, and this is what drives me crazy too, you need to entertain. A story has to entertain. There's, and that doesn't mean make people laugh, but it has to make them compelled. To mm-hmm. see, you know, David Mamet, I was doing his master class. Oh, cool. And was, yeah. And he was saying, you know, there is no story. Like everything he writes, everything that should be people paying for needs to be entertainment. And if anybody's trying to make a statement, uh, a position about mm-hmm. this or that, perfectly fine. But if you didn't entertain to get there, then just, you know, write, a, write an op-ed. Don't write a story. And that's the problem I have with the business world saying that a storyteller, there are some good, I mean, like Wes Anderson does that Prada seven minute bit on, uh, for Prada. And he mm-hmm. brings all his actors in and he set up this, you know, 1930s Italy and this race car driver shows up. It's one of his actors. I forget his name, but, um, I'll, I'll, I'll if we're Lincoln, Dan, I'll, I'll send the link to you. Yeah, but, cool. um, um, but it, it, you watch it for seven and eight minutes and you're just totally, like anything he does, you're mesmerized by the set, by the dialogue, by the quirkiness of it, you know. And then it's just, you know, it's these. It's not a. It's not a just a straight path. Here's the problem. Here's the product that so that solved it. Here's the happy end. It's this beautiful kind of well story, right? Mm-hmm. And and so that's you know a storyteller in business, you know. Um, and that's what I'm. Uh, can I tell my story about Amnesty International that Jeff and I worked on? Because that's that's my favorite. Yeah, because I, okay. I wasn't I wasn't sure right. what that was from your notes, but go for it. All right. So so this is this is back when before everybody called themselves a storyteller, and Jeff and I were working on a, a kind of an interactive uh, experience. I don't even know if you're, like it used to be called a flash ad in Avenue mm-hmm. on the website. That's when people spent money to do yeah, cool stuff. media like, ad or something. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. But it was really just kind of a almost like a movie with, with a, you know, uh, dissolves of still imagery and stuff like that and music gotcha. and, yep. and, and to, to what we were just talking about a lot of times in, in advertising, you're stuck with, you know, Oh God, I got to talk about, you know, this, <laughs> uh, you know, this wallpaper or this, you know, cable system wiring or something like that. And Jeff and I landed on one. I was like, Holy shit, we're going to get paid to do something beautiful here. It was yeah. the Amnesty International. 
Mm-hmm. And not only was it Amnesty International, which obviously is an important uh, group worldwide, you know, uh, protecting the rights of people imperiled for different reasons. This was the hardcore group of Amnesty International. These were the people who would send emails and notes to their core um, uh, constituents in the group, you know, right. like people who are hardcore. And these people then had to send emails to regimes around the world who were going to execute somebody the next day. So you can't get much more hardcore yeah. than this. It's truly we would, life and death here. Right. And and we were working, we were working, I think it was like Lotus back in the day for yeah. IBM had Lotus yes. and Lotus had, um, so Amnesty International, the hardcore save somebody from getting executed group was using Lotus's uh, communications thing because they had to get these urgent, you know, alert emails out like in a minute around right. the world, right? They and need, the response, right? Yeah, yeah they yeah. needed to know like for sure, for sure, this was going to get out there, it was going to get received, and they knew that they were going to, there was going to be some kind of acknowledgement that they got it. It was like, it definite, was, it was, the, need, right. it was the bulletproof way to communicate. That, that was yeah. So, so, yeah. So Jeff and I are like, holy shit, we landed on something that not only, you know, would we feel good about finally, you know, an advertising making a difference <laughs> as they good. say, yeah. right. Uh-huh. After doing all our selling our soul to the advertising devils, we now um, can, can make a difference and, you know, craft, I mean, just storytelling, you got a, you got conflict that's just mm-hmm. laid in your lap. You have a big, you have a, a you know, kind of a, a serious, uh, 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 pitfall that you're in and you could see a little light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Oh man, it was laid out for us. And we did this gorgeous piece. Jeff did his beautiful design work and stuff like that. I just had to kind of lay out the structure and then he did all this amazing stuff. We all loved it. The agency loved it. And, uh-huh. um, and we got it to the client and the client all of a sudden is like, Oh no, 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 no. This is you, you, you have, cause we had like, we had these prison bars closing and then these little candles would come up like around the world and it would light the scene because this guy was in the dark in a dungeon and the little candles would come up and it would be sure. like in, in times of darkness, we help bring the light. Something like, I don't even know what the line was, but it was just gorgeous looking, right? I was like, yeah. oh no, prison bars. That's very down. You can't show that. Oh no, this person's not happy. You can't show that. And the agency, you know, I, it cost me my job, but the agency the people mm-hmm. above us were like, oh, okay, we'll get rid of the prison bars. Okay, we'll mm-hmm. have a spotlight. We'll have smiles on everybody. I was like, right, right. and I remember saying this. I remember saying this, <laughs> and I think this is the beginning of the end for me. I said, I'm sorry, <laughs> we were doing Amnesty, and somehow we ended up on Disney World. What right. was the, where did the change come? They literally were turning this into like the next thing was going to be on a, on a Disney cruise, this guy who was going to be hanged the next day. And I, I hung up the phone in the middle of the call. I was like, you must hate what's happened to Times Square. It used to be all grungy and real, and now now it's a Disney like you know cruise, right? Now it's all theaters and you know Ripley's, believe it or not, museums. Go on, but I mean, I'm curious, where did that go? You hung the phone up, but what did they ultimately turn it into? Because if it wasn't your original story, what story does it become? Did it become a story? Or you have like to you have to ask Jeff because I I basically I got thrown off of it because I did hang up and made those comments, but. It became van- very vanilla, right, Jeff? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was just a very, you know, oh, we're making a difference, and look, we're, you know, right. gee, is, aren't we happy? We're helping people communicate, and it was like, oh no, these are 
you know, you're talking to the uh, regimes of, uh, of despots around the world, mm-hmm. but somehow it became a very vanilla, oh, what a happy world. We're helping people communicate. And it's right. like, why did you pick yeah. Amnesty International for that? And I guess um, now, again, it's a long story, but the bottom uh-huh. line is if you're a storyteller yeah, and then you take the story out, well, then what are you? Like you're an ad. You know, advertising, we're talking a lot about advertising as, as creative in a storytelling vehicle. That's fine. But, you know, there is a there is a, a, a particular need for that, right? There's a task, you know, there, there's a, you're writing a story for a reason. You mm-hmm. know, when I did comics, mm-hmm. I, I was, I, most of the comics I wrote were work for hire. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were beholden to the type of characters and the type of adventures and the, and the world and the universe that they existed within. So you certainly weren't going to come in and make Daredevil uh, well, you know, be something that was really against the grain of what he was or what that world was in its own way. So here you're beholden to certain clients. And, and I guess the question I have is if that ultimately was a, was a smiley face story, it's not the story you wanted to go into, but if it became a story of one kind or another, that's still in effect, you know, maybe is a story of some kind versus in an advertising or marketing world. If you're a manufacturer of cat litter products and you've decided to launch a website around uh you know uh, kitty uh, pan liners and you're saying to your audience let's get together and tell a community story about our experiences with picking up kitty poo or something like that <laughs> you, you know when i think that's an actual site that you know caused my brain to burn one day that that's taking that word and that's bastardizing it right yeah, that's right. that's turning it into something that is not at all versus the dramatic drastic, hurtful shift, you know, you saw, cause you obviously went in thinking, we're not only going to tell a story. We're going to tell something meaningful. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're putting our heart and soul into this. And suddenly out of whatever it might've been, uh, fear, hesitancy, mid management, any number of reasons that felt too scary for somebody to pursue. So mm-hmm. is there, is there a possibility to tell stories, uh, within that area? And I think there is, but it is the people who grab the word, who don't understand it, or don't want to take the time to to apply it, that then becomes, you know, everybody's using it. Now the word means nothing. Right. Because look, you you could do that and say, I want to do an ad for kitty litter. I want to mm-hmm. do an ad for, for Lotus, uh, Lotus uh, whatever, the Lotus communication software. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. And one of the clients is Amnesty International. So use Amnesty as a testimonial for Lotus. That's mm-hmm. a whole different thing than... We want to do something viral. We want to tell a story here. And that's my problem with the word storyteller. Mm Because if you say, wait, you want to do a story? Okay. Do you want to do a story like, okay, BMW, go back a million years, but BMW and they did BMW films and launched careers for like Clive Owen, who was a character actor and then did his Madonna was a guy. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Those were stories. Like they didn't, like they took those cars and the cars were, were heroes in the story. But the story mm-hmm. wasn't about the car. The story was, look how this car um, is, is, it's almost like in a movie. It's like product placement that just has the BMW films. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's, it's ramped up. But nobody watched it because they said, wow, look how cool that car is. They came away thinking that. And mm-hmm. the viral impressions, obviously, on BMW films, I mean, I could watch all of them tomorrow and mm-hmm. still love them as they stand out. And that's why I thought, Jeff, go back to circle back to what you were talking about is how the web has made story, you know, the ability to tell stories is now wide open. But the courage or the understanding 
that's a story. And then an ad is let's do something really fun, but let's, let's be straight and just say, we're selling this kitty litter and here's some good music and maybe a, <laughs> a fun thing. But don't tell me that you want to do a story about Amnesty International. Really what you want to do is an ad. And I think when, when agencies say, oh yeah, we tell the story. No, bullshit. You, you, you're going to sell a product and there's nothing wrong. That's we're salespeople when we're advertising. David yeah. Ogilvy said it. Right. Well, but can, but can when, ads tell a story? I, I mean, I'm defend, I'm not defending or or whatever. I just think sometimes you can if you if you lean into it with the right intent and the right skill set. And I'm not saying it's a story maybe you want to tell, but uh, there's a there's a way of of losing sight of that. Well, uh, I think I think there I think there's a problem in that if you say I need to sell something, I need to yeah. sell this, I need to sell Zoom or whatever you know the software is we're on, and I have thirty which, which seconds. has no product placement at all. We're not being sponsored by them, so <laughs> that's right. Okay, yeah, so you're out, Zoom. Unless you right, unless you pony up, then we can work with you. But like whatever, I need to sell these shoes I'm wearing, or I need to sell these headphones I'm using. Okay, cool. Uh, like you know, uh, Beats. Uh, put some great music on. Have somebody walking down the street and and loving the music, and and you know, give me a give me a famous hip hop guy and do a voiceover. That's a great ad, you know. Or uh, or or you know, Apple's going to do a, a, a new spot with, you know, they're going to show a ton of people showing great photography with their phone. Hey, right. that's wonderful. That's well, look, I mean, and there is storytelling in it, but it's that's not. Right. You don't set out. You're not setting out to do. Um, you're not, first of all, you're not setting out to have people pass this around going, this is a great freaking story. This is like BMW films, which everybody passed around. Look at the story here. Okay. You're doing a beautiful ad and I don't know, I guess what I now circling back saying, whatever happened to being able to be a good ad agency or a good media agency, why is that gone out of fashion? And to be a storyteller, that's where the bastardization is. You know, to me anyway, is a good ad. Yes, a good ad tells a story, but right. it's a class, you know, a slice of life commercial. Here's a problem. You know, John, I, I, I see some funny commercials. There's nothing wrong with these. I think it's uh, uh, Clorox, the bleach company, I think. Mm -hmm. And they have a little kid and, you know, he's trying to pull his pants down to pee mm -hmm. and he can't get them down in time. And he just yells at his mom, his mom, mom, we have a situation here and it's very cute. It's very funny. Or another time, the same, another kid is, is mopping the floor, mom is beaming, and then you see he's in the bathroom mopping the floor, but he's mopping it with the toilet water. And that's a funny story, but mm -hmm. it's an ad first. It's an ad first. And I think that the thing is that if you're saying we're storytellers, that's where the bastardization is. Then, then you tell an amazing story, and then you have a product placement in there, or you're sponsored by, and that will get you, you know, that'll be a story. But all these... I wouldn't call the kid, you know, what mopping the floor. It's a very funny commercial, but it's a commercial. And they did a, they were very good commercials. A very good but it's potentially a gag within a commercial, right? We've all right. seen maybe yeah. even done things where, you know, it's a funny little bit within it. When I used to work on right. Time Warner Cable, uh, you know, I, I would see a lot of the, I'll call it the, the general stuff was, was, a, was a gag. One joke to sort of sell the services. Right. But, but you can take aspects of storytelling and if you apply it the right way, and you, you know, there's a targeted storytelling. You're trying to achieve an event here. Even the things you do and the films you make, you set out with a point of view about 
whatever you're riffing on, you know, split personalities, mm-hmm. or maybe you want to like, you know, do a take on the, on the, the pharmaceutical industry or, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, a media, you know, you go into these clearly with like an intent. And, and I'm thinking, you know, when you were mentioning like the Apple stuff before, right. Apple can do just a bunch of people dancing around, uh, in silhouette, but they did that piece, uh, for, uh, not this last iPhone, but maybe the one before that, I remember it was, uh, it was like a kid and it looked like the kid was just basically disconnected from the family the whole time. He was taking selfies and he was just staring into the phone. And then at the end of the spot, it was like around the holidays. So, it, you know, it was designed to kind of, uh, pull the heartstrings. You know, you found out when everyone got ticked off at him, he had been making a family film the whole time. And then he plugged the phone mm-hmm. into the, the, the TV or he threw it over Apple TV and suddenly it was like, no, I've been making a thing about the family gathering, about a reunion. And that's that that was storytelling. Now, granted, it was selling the camera and the videography and everything else made possible by that system. But um, and it was definitely targeted at just getting right to the to the heartstrings at the holiday time. But somebody you know, there's a, there's a difference between, Hey, I got a gag. Why don't you know about these services? What have you been doing? Living under a rock. And literally you find out the people have been living under a rock, right? That that's like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. that took you mm-hmm. 37 mm-hmm. seconds to come up with and mm-hmm. something more you know, artful, right? Something mm-hmm. still targeted, right? It's not the story. Maybe you would have come up with if you were sitting there, not waiting for the muse to happen, but for a moment to design something that, that touches people. That's what an, an audience goes after. I can't believe I'm defending this, but I mean, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. but on the other hand, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is there's pure play storytelling, which is also mm-hmm. not about waiting for the muse to happen. We're all mm-hmm. of the mind that we apply ourselves. People, I think who sit around and like put a beret on and like hold their glass of absinthe up in the air, waiting for the, the muse to come settle on them are going to be sitting in that basement a long time. I think, no matter what kind of creative energy you have, you have to apply yourself to to get to it. You got to write. You got to like. You got to create. You've got to do it, and then edit yourself or redo it to get to the right thing. But I think there's there is something to to targeted creativity sometimes, and that's of of choice or necessity or interest. And you know, I did comics. It's doing comics now for a long time, and and that was a situation where you had assignments. You had you had projects to do. You had characters or titles or whatever to work on. Now, I had a lot of latitude of what I would kind of crum, come up with and say, these are what I think the characters should do. But sometimes you're also given uh, an assignment. Uh, uh, you know, these uh, scary characters are, are going to get together with other scary characters and Doctor Strange, and they're going to fight this new evil villain. And you've got to, you've got to you know, arrange some kind of situation where they're in the right place at the right time in some big crossover event. You've got some latitude to figure that out, but you didn't necessarily get that assignment. Uh, you didn't come up with that, that, that whole thing, whole cloth, but you would bring your creativity to it. So mm-hmm. is it wrong if you get an assignment to do certain things within another area of, and this is another no, no. shitty buzzword, content creation, but Right. You know, so so, I I, I guess I think it, I think it's bad when people don't don't apply creativity to it and they do it by by the numbers and then call it storytelling. Right, and and I also think to to um, just kind of go back to what you were saying. You know, you you were writing comics, and then you know you you that was a passion for you, and you were doing it. 
And then you get assignments. And then so you have to now match Doctor Strange with Daredevil or whatever you were doing back in the day. Mm-hmm. And you have to do it. But what you brought to that table mm-hmm. was, you know, years of, you know, the, the 10,000 hour rule from Malcolm Gladwell. You had been putting, you know, pen to paper and uh, pencil to paper and writing stuff and learning how to do it. And so when you get that assignment, you're a storyteller and you're mm-hmm. a bona fide, you know, uh, skin. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, only store, you know, only people who are paid to write comics or plays or do, you know, professional photography or you know, imagery can do it. But you put in the hours, you put in the time to know what goes into the structure of a story so that when you get that assignment to match two characters and include this villain, you're bringing a lot more than I just got to meet that assignment and just get from A to Z. You're bringing all that texture and stuff to it. Well, that, and, that's, um, that, you know, that's is it- true. And I'm better and all of us are better now than I was then or you were then in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it also is, it's intent, right? I, I was very green then. I can look back at some of that stuff and be very cringeworthy. I can look at stuff I did last week and very cringeworthy about certain things. Depending mm-hmm. on where it's at. As long as you continuously have an objective to be better, and that when you sit down in front of whatever it is, a keyboard, a camera, a microphone, are you trying to do something more than what the box checking is? And, and, or, or just, or just say, you know, uh, you know, here, here's a bunch of PowerPoint slides and I'm going to call this to go back to advertising, you know, for a moment, uh, a web banner. And all I've done is take a bunch of chunky, junky PowerPoint slides and, and say, let's animate these. Okay. That's, there's no application of storytelling or, or beats or involvement of an audience, you know, there, I think a lot of it also is, is about people's perception of who's on the other side of that. Who's on the other side of the stage? Who's on the mm-hmm. other side of the, the speaker? Who's on the other side of the, the screen? Do you actually think about them as an audience or do you think about them as a consumer or do you think about them as a user, which is a horrible word? Um, and that, I think, defines certain things in the creator's mindset that leads to the type of work that is done or not done. Yeah, and if I may interject a little bit here because I, I might come in the middle here a little bit. Like I see, you know, I've, Mark, I've, I've known for, I don't even know how long. I can't even count that high. Um, you know, you come definitely from a very classic way of storytelling, um, you know, and a very um, passionate storyteller. Um, and I've seen a number of your plays and your videos and everything's, you know, either amazingly heartfelt or drives a specific emotion or, or is just fall out of your chair funny. Um but I've seen, things, I've, but you're quite welcome. Well deserved. Um, but I've seen things that, you know, like I was going to talk about is things that are happening in social media that, like I said, was talking about before, where these things are happening really quickly as little mini stories. And I have, I guess, a lot of latitude in what I consider a story. And that might be something, an interesting conversation unto itself. What is a story? Because mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people define it differently. But um, one of the examples I was seeing, and there's many, many examples of this where people have just, taking over brands Twitter feed and just started doing kind of crazy things, sometimes a little bit unexpected for that brand and getting back into the advertising world here a little bit. Um, and sometimes really funny and can kind of make a brand's personality come out a little bit more. And one of them that I thought was kind of funny and I um, wanted to bring up is, is Wendy's Twitter roast, 
which mm. I thought was kind of funny. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but um, you know, just, I'm hungry now. <laughs> you, you, you might be. It's kind of funny. It's like there were people who I think it started out where they, you know, they start out with some tweet about, um, you know, how they they're, they're, they never had frozen burgers or something like that. And uh, some responded to that. Well, how do you keep them fresh? And it, it just started to unravel. <laughs> it started to, it started this whole trend where Wendy started to roast people on on Twitter and people would challenge it and step up to it and be like, you know, throwing it back at Wendy's and they would come back with these one liners and just shame them. And it was like one after the other. I don't know who was behind it, but <laughs> it was hysterical. Um, but I personally, I see those as little stories. Like it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a back and forth story, you know, um, it's definitely got a dialogue Jeff, did, going on. Did Wendy's in- initiate this or were they just lucky enough that somebody did it and they, they benefited from they, it? They initiated the first tweet. Um, mm-hmm. just like I said, I think about that their hamburgers were never frozen. Mm-hmm. Responded back to it and it took it from there and it just, it, it was hysterical. I mean, you guys should look it up if you're not familiar with it. Uh, I can yeah, send definitely. your link. Um, Sounds it, like a social media improv almost. You it know, was kind of. Form you know, of it's not like a good 20 something yeah. behind the scenes. I had, you know, Wendy's Twitter account right. uh, ready to enable, but there are a number of different, I think, brands that have done this. And I personally, I see these things as kind of a new trend and a new a new way that advertising is taking a little bit of a turn. And, you know, Dan and I mm-hmm. have experienced this and I'm sure, you know, Mark, you've seen this, that, um, you know, I was going to talk about this. It's like, I see agencies as evolving a lot more now. Uh, I've come across mm-hmm. a couple where, you know, there's either agencies, little agencies starting up or big agencies that realize like, Hey, we've got to do something a little different here. And they're creating almost like these little alternate sub agencies inside their agencies specifically because they know, we've got to react a little differently here. Like you mm-hmm. know, stripped down agencies with very few layers, you know, that are custom built to generate stories really quickly. You know, they normally meet and they track all the trends and events and news and culture that's going on that day. And a lot of times they leverage it, you know, to tell a story for their clients, you know, but they tell these stories on almost a daily basis. Then they're reacting and responding almost in real time. You know, and there are these little mini stories, you know, I call them ad, they're ads, but to me, they're stories too. Um, you know, ads have emotions too, Mark. No, but let me ask you this. <laughs> let me ask you this. I, I'm emotionless. That's it. I'm, I, when it comes yeah. to advertising, it's, it's, but, but let me ask you this. When, when that first started, it sounds fascinating, but their first tweet that our burgers were never frozen. Now, whether, whether that was the strategy mm-hmm. or they, they serendipitously landed on it. What mm-hmm. made that amazing, just the way you described it, is when the roasting went totally away from their burgers. They had the halo effect of, mm-hmm. hey, this is funny. Let's roast this person or this person's roasting that thing or something like that. And they got the whole halo effect of that. So, yes, then it becomes, uh, you know, that's the old, well, go make something viral for me, you know, uh, duh. A viral is something that somebody wants to pass and you can't just tell them to pass it. But that right. became viral because it it became a life of its own, just like BMW films with Madonna and, and you know, these great directors taking it and, and Guy Ritchie and all these people involved in those things took it in directions that gave BMW the halo effect. But it wasn't like, hey, look, look at this. Look at the torque steering on the car. And Wendy's 
it didn't become about, wow, look at the way that the fries are, are, you know, lightly seasoned and stuff. It got into the whole roast, which is, which is wonderful. And, and that's good advertising. I, I love that. Um, but you know, it became storytelling once they, and once they stopped saying, or once it evolved or moved beyond, uh, we don't, we never, uh, we never use frozen meat. And so, you know, that if, if you're saying that that is uh, storytelling, I agree a hundred percent, but not a lot of people want to do that. And that's okay. If someone says we need to do a beautiful ad and get some good funky music to, sh- to demonstrate that our headphones are the best out there mm-hmm. or to demonstrate that our kitty litter is the most absorbent, then there's nothing wrong. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with just doing an amazing ad that gets sales. Right. But that's where the murky line of storytelling is. If, if, if they're, like you said, there are all these great little cottage uh, content shops and stuff like that that mm-hmm. are figuring out different angles to get people to get involved in a story. Um, and that's really cool. But a lot of them just say we're storytellers and then just do an ad, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, hey, we never use frozen meat. Right. storytelling is all that happened afterwards. So, uh, you know, as they say, there was a big uh, difference in where it ended up. And to get there takes more thinking. And again, uh, I don't want to ramble here, but, you know, what is the ultimate goal? Is the ultimate, now we're talking about business and, and so much of storytelling is a guy in a bar tells you a funny story. Your father, old people love great storytellers. Old yeah. people love to say, so anyway, I give my keys to the, you know, instead of saying, sure. I gave my keys to the, to the, to the guy and he parked it. I was like, they're going to, they're going to get dialogue in there. They're going to tell you a step by to the point. It's like, okay, enough already. Yeah. But that's the point, you know, is, is when the storytelling takes over, it, it doesn't necessarily, uh, it, it, it gives a halo effect, but it's not necessarily an ad anymore. And that's right, wonderful. Right. So, yeah. Just getting back to, I mean, this, in this particular example, I, I actually have it up here so I can refer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first, the first tweet they had out was, our beef is way too cool. That would be frozen. And I think there's an insight here that when you start to talk, kind of, I think that's a very contemporary way to talk. When you're talking like that, I think online, you know, and Twitter, you're expecting some kind of response. They're definitely re- expecting some kind of response. They're planning the seed for a story to happen, basically. And they know someone's going to respond and challenge them, right? Mm-hmm. Wendy to mm-hmm. say you're way too cool, right? And someone's going to try and smack them down because mm-hmm. you know Wendy's got like I don't know three million you know followers, and this guy's probably got like twenty or something, and he's looking to maybe you know gain a little bit of no- notoriety for throwing down the smack on Wendy's, you know, mm-hmm. and unexpectedly they come back and 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 dish it out, and it mm-hmm. just starts to take on its own thing, and it, maybe it's not the intent is pure advertising, but the outcome right. is. Wendy got some pretty good PR out of it. You know, they got, yeah. got a lot of awareness. And we've all done this long enough that, you know, maybe that guy who responded in the first place it was completely organic. Like you said, it was planned, completely mm-hmm. organic. On the other hand, those first couple of throwbacks could have been plants, yeah. right? You know, mm-hmm. to kind of get, get it moving. And that could have then just generated its own thing. Either way, it sounds really cool in yeah. the sense of it does sound like it was at least set up that way to, mm-hmm. to try to kind of get to that to that story to kind of get yeah. to that, that and a very improv story. You don't know what people were going to say. They could have said F you Wendy's. They could have like, you know, gone in a bunch of different directions, but Wendy's had some credit at that point for their attitude of who they are in that, mm-hmm. in that Twitter verse. Exactly. And that, that just gets back to, you know, like I think at least in the advertising world, and we can talk about storytelling in a, in a bigger, 
a bigger way as well, is that agencies are like building themselves around this kind of um, new way of telling stories. You know, mm-hmm. that, that is, it's not like, hey, I'm the only one that I'm, I'm a voice and I'm, I'm putting a story out there. It's, it's a story that's a seed that's planted and then the story just starts to take a course of its own, but they've, they've got to be responsible for acting in a certain way and responding in a certain way. Right. Um, I think that's the new, that's a new thing that's going on out there. An interesting thing is, like I said, you've got a short amount of time to tell these stories, you got to react really quickly and you've got to be like hitting a very small bullseye with the type of people you're talking to. It's a new, it's a new challenge, at least, you know, in the advertising world. Right, because people are glazed over by a typical, you know, you fast forward to an ad or you, you know, you don't even watch ads. You just go right from, you know, Netflix to Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime to whatever. So you have to entertain or compel for people to watch your product thing. So that's where that's where this whole storytelling uh, bastardization and dilution <laughs> happen yeah. in that you can't say we do great ads when people say, well, people don't watch ads. You know, we, we used to do great web banners and web, you know, interactive flash banners and nobody watches them. So you have to do a Wes Anderson or you have to do what Wendy's did and, and make a, you know, a whole social media experience. So you have to do, you know, an underground video, all great storytelling, but I think it takes more and it takes an understanding that, Okay, in this case, we've got to push the product and, you know, mm-hmm. we need to, to show the product and it's easy enough because it's, you know, headphones or, or you know, this cool uh, have a phone app or photography on the iPhone. In, in, in the case of like a prosaic, you know, we want to talk about our burgers being better. Then we have to figure out a story, whether we write it or we, or we foster it through responses, then we'll make it. But the story happens after you plant that seed of, oh, we want to talk about our meat, but we're not going to talk about our meat. We're going to just have that halo effect of people talking about roasted because that's what we want them to come away with. Right. And that's, you know, to me, that's the change in advertising. But it also, as I say, at the cost of storytelling, because, you know, now you could do it. Like I, I wrote, uh, I wrote a website for an agency and it was writing a website, but no, it's no longer copywriting it's now content creation mm-hmm. i don't know what the difference is it looked like i was writing a website but now it's just content creation <laughs> did you so, charge did you, know, you charge terms... more for that or did you have to do <laughs> that's, right. that's right i'm a content hair i've right. come up with a new term there a content contentist. contentist yeah exactly i gotta come up with a term and then trademark it and that's it right. but right. i think that's the difference is and then we can get away we could talk about okay so this is now we've talked on the business side but all three of us have told stories either visually or through pen to paper yeah. without ever the expectation of making a dollar on it. Yeah. So and where this, does that I, come in? You know? And I think this gets back to no cure for curiosity. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you know, God. The whole vibe of this. <laughs> we, took a, we took a long time to get That's there, but right. we got back there, you know, and uh, I didn't get to speak my two piece on no cure for curiosity. Um, but, Go for it. Put it on. That's just the miracle of editing, Jeff. So you, can, just you, just, you can just put me right in there. Like, oh. Put it right in there. See? Go. <laughs> and just, yeah, and just, or just use the word shut up, Mark, and you can get right in. <laughs> to do that too. That's that's another way of just like yeah. splice here. <laughs> you know, I, I think when we're coming up with this name, you know, there's a couple of things. One of them being that, um, you know, we were looking for something that can encompass a lot of, of who we are and mm-hmm. how we're involved in, in the world of, of being creative and, um, and curious always, you know, and the high, whole idea of no for no cure for curiosity, you know, and what I'm seeing and, you know, and the people I've worked with and I really respect is 
true creatives cannot turn the creativity off. Um, we're not in this business just to make money, um, although getting paid and having, you know, the, the fun, the, the means to support our families and do uh-huh. things is great. But I think regardless of whether we had a job in advertising or anything else, we'd be doing something creative regardless. You know, um, Mark's shooting videos, Dan's writing great stories, doing voiceovers and, you know, doing all kinds of cool things. I'm doing a lot of visual storytelling with my kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a whole series where um, basically getting, uh, getting challenged by my kids. They come up with some kind of imaginary thing and I try and fulfill that vision visually. You, know, yeah, you you plus it by like ten thousand. You know the kids. Maybe like, maybe they might they might get a little like, up. It's like listen, <laughs> we're going on a hike to the Sahara. Daddy needs a picture. You know, <laughs> started you know when my son was four years old and he built a really cool Lego. Um, it's like you know a couple hundred pieces. I did not expect he'd build it, and he did, and he was really excited. And he asked me, you know, can this thing fight Decepticons? And I said, I don't know, but I think I could imagine what that might look like, and that led to one thing led to another, and. That was the first one, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, they're they're amazing. We will, we'll put all these in the story notes. They'll be a, a incredible for people to see. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and that that kind of brings up the other point of this, and why to me we moved away from crazy creative career crap, which is what we were thinking about mm-hmm. calling it, and and ended up at No Cure for Curiosity, is because this is not. Sometimes it's a means to an end. But most times it's an end in mm-hmm. itself. In other words, if, 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 if I don't know how to tell people how to make a lot of money doing this stuff, I really don't know anymore. I, I mean, the ad formula is, is, you know, haywire or the ad agency formula is haywire. Uh, publishing is haywire. Uh, the media creative is haywire. So to me, there is no, okay, here's step one, step two, how to succeed in business. I wouldn't be able to say that. But I will say, um, you know, this idea of, of fostering your creative bug, mm-hmm. whether you yourself are ready to start putting pen to paper or painting or writing or, or telling, going to a storytelling mm-hmm. festival or, or whatever, you're, you're out collecting stamps and, and, you know, presenting them in a different way. Whatever it is that makes you happy, that doesn't have to lead to an end. Let me make your job at 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 Walmart um, just a better job for you. I mean, I know for me, I didn't start on this end of it. I was just a copywriter. I went to school for copywriting, but you know, when when I started twenty five years ago, just I never. I, ne- I mean, you know, we work in class neighborhood. You didn't think about I'm going to go become a a writer. You thought about I got to make money, um, and and that drove me for you know the first quarter of my life. But once I started just, you know, figuring out, you know, how to get, I mean, the biggest thrill I would ever have is if I can get a play done by the local, you know, players in, in you know, amateur theater. That was as high as I ever dreamed just to see a bunch of people on stage and, you know, eight of your family watching mm-hmm. it. So um, the idea of, of just creating for creativity's sake and for your own sake, and then doing that enough that, you know, it gives you satisfaction. It may make your day job better. It may get you into a better day job, but it'll make your life better. And, and it'll give you something to do for the rest of your life. I think that's why it became, it went away from us saying, here's steps, you know, what, what was implied in, you know, here's how to make a living by being creative. Hopefully we could give some of that advice because we've done 
it so far. But more importantly, if if you could enjoy watching creativity wherever it comes, could be a guy's painting, you know, street art, uh, who's making, you know, has a cup in front of him for dollars. It could be something you see on TV or something, you know, you read, uh, you know, the uh, book on Grant that Dan, you know. So that's what makes it fun is is that it doesn't have to be an end. It's just it, it, the end is in itself, you know, and uh, not to get all Zen-like with it, but that's what makes it fun right. for me. Right. So just to kind of get back to this whole idea of no cure for curiosity and the, the biggerness of it, you know, the, the, the bigliness of it, as our president would say, you know, this sense of, of what maybe inspires you that you've seen, that you've experienced, that, that, you know, you've taken part in. We're talking a lot about storytelling. We haven't come to a conclusion on it, nor should we. I think it is alive. It just depends on where it is and how people are interpreting it. But, but something that, that really got you going from just a purely creative point of view, uh, from any avenue, uh, I think it'd be kind of an interesting way to kind of go into it. If it's no cure for curiosity, this is kind of like the incurable section until you guys come up with a better, a better uh, name for that. Uh, you know, Jeff, did, did something really, really strike you recently that, uh, that you want to pull out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I work on a lot of storytelling from the visual side of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's this photographer that I've seen, not recently, but for quite a while, but I look at his work, you know, frequently, and his name's Eric Almas. Mm. Um, he's, he's one of the, I think, one of the top advertising photographers out there. But the interesting thing about him, and something that I've had in the back of my head for a long, long time, I worked with the, um, some photographers in the past um, and partnered with them, is that a lot of times photography isn't merely, or it can be, it can be merely capturing a moment, right? Um, but there's a shift in perception in, in that not only can you capture a moment with photography, but you can also create a moment where you can create something that you would imagine with photography that, you know, would not just be captured, but can be put together, you know, and by put together, I mean like a photo composite. It's a number of different photographs put together to create um, something imaginary, something unworldly, um, but can lead to really kind of really interesting conceptual um, types of storytelling um, using photography, you know, as a visual medium. And that's something that's influenced me, you know, like I said, you know, I was talking about earlier about how um, my kids create these stories, you know, they create something, they're proud of something, they're doing something amazing. Uh, I'm a proud dad, so I want to make it look amazing. So, you know, build something with Legos and I'll create some kind of story about that. And I'll talk to them about it. Like, what, what do you see with this? Or, you know, my sister sounds great. My daughter's into sports and she's into soccer. And, you know, I talk to her, she's goalie. And I talked about how some of these things that she does are are amazing. and What really inspires her and she feels great about. And then I create something, you know, visually that I kind of see what she's imagining in her head and putting it together and then showing it to her. And she's like, wow. Maybe that wasn't exactly what I sort of <laughs> had. That might even be better. <laughs> you know, which I like, you know, to try and out, outdo a kid's imagination is um you know small feet, but it's, right. it's fun. Really fun. Um so that's just I mean that's that nice. that's that part of like no cure for curiosity, that curiosity and that creativity that you just can't turn off. That's you know, one thing I do with my kids, and that's uh you know, this guy Eric Almas, he's a be- definitely been an inspiration on um you know my approach to doing that kind of stuff. That's awesome. I definitely have to, definitely have to check nice. that out. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in since I think I'll, I'll wrap it up and I'll put it myself in the, in the middle and Mark, you know, bounce it over to you. Uh, you guys know I love video games and you know, gaming and, and these kind of things. And uh, there's something I saw 
not exactly recently either, but it sticks in my mind. It's a game called Firewatch. And it's uh, this kind of interesting genre, which has started to take uh, a little bit more root and get popular. It's kind of called like a first-person exploration game. So it has the same point of view of what you might be familiar with from a, a Doom or a Halo or a Destiny, where you're you're moving through an environment, you're, the camera is you in essence, but there's no, there's no shooting, there's no uh, big enemies, there's no big puzzles in that way. You're kind of exploring an environment, there might be challenges and such. In Firewatch, you're, you're this dude, and you, you're in a fire tower in like the Yellowstone area, um, and in this context, you're, I think it's taking place kind of like in the late 90s, and you have contact with somebody else in another fire tower across the way. And um, through a course of conversations and exploration around the, the park, you just get this emotional background between these two characters and about uh, um, how he lost uh, this woman he loved and the reasons behind that. Uh, there's almost like a budding romance between them, uh, this woman on the other end of the radio in another fire tower, um, and where things go. And it was just a really interesting experience for me because you really got involved over the course of these mini episodes with these characters and uh, the richness of the way it looked kind of brought me back to visiting that that park as well it kind of made me a little bit nostalgic in its own way uh, so I thought it was just a really great combination of of real human surprise uh, an exploration quality which kept drawing me into it and yet not feeling, oh, I got to destroy something. I got to break something. It was, it was, again, the exploration and the interactive exploration simulation that was really inspiring from a creative point of view. I want to tell a story like this. Not that this is just simply about storytelling. But uh, to me, it was really, uh, really wild. Highly recommend it uh, to, to check something like that out. Cool. Love it. That sounds great. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, I'm... I'm yeah, and I'm going to go in, in the other direction, which is um, I mentioned uh, him as, as one of my inspirations was David mm -hmm. Mamet. And I remember 30 years ago when I first started writing, not for advertising, but for writing's sake and plays and everything, David Mamet was an inspiration yep. back then. And uh, But now the technology, you know, again, Web 3.0, whatever number we're calling it these days, to be able to you know, sit in on a, a master class with him uh, inspires me for two reasons. Because obviously, just being able to sit on your phone, you know, at a coffee shop is, is is still blows me away that this guy is, you know, giving point by point on how to tell a story. But it's also inspirational because it reinforces the one thing, which is just like you know, you mentioned being able to watch, you know, read a book that's thirty hours on forty Grant. hours. 40, and a good 40, 40 hours. hours, right. So <laughs> 40 hours on Grant, but a good storyteller makes it absolutely engaging where you yeah. can't wait to get to it. Just hearing David Mamet, who can't help but tell stories, even when he's describing how to tell a story, he's telling a story. And it, it, it's also a little bit retro in that there's not 22 cameras, there's no cutaways, which, you know, as a filmmaker, I know that you have to keep everybody's attention every two seconds. It's yeah. just him talking to you. And so it's, it's, it relies on, yes, you want to know the elements of a good story, but he's telling you good stories about how to tell good stories. And you're riveted without all the effects of, That's... you know, modern camera and the shaky camera and then the cutaways and the music and stuff. It's just him talking to you. And there's an intimacy there 
that you know it's a, it's that that contradiction of the latest technology to bring you you a one-to-one conversation like you're sitting in a coffee shop with just one person and obviously what inspired me is even though i've been telling stories a lot of years you hear somebody look at that and you go oh okay i still got a lot to learn and i loved it so that's what inspired that's crazy me. cool and that's part of that yeah. that master class series we show up in yeah. web ads all over the place for uh all different topics right yeah right? Yeah, and it's it's great because, like I say, will you ever direct a film like Ron Howard? Will maybe not. Will you ever direct like Martin Scorsese or shoot, uh, you know, something? And again, I'm talking about film. It's everything all over the map. But Malcolm Gladwell right. is talking about. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just to hear a craftsman tell how they do it and give you the point by points, you'll watch one of their films and later on and say, "Oh my God, I appreciate yeah. it even more." Uh, so, but I, as I say, it's a little bit of a throwback and it's just him talking right. to you mm-hmm. and you know it's wonderful from that end. and then the other wonderful part is then you see all the comments that come in afterwards and you participate in that and you see it's like a housewife from you know mm-hmm. peoria mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a student from hawaii it's a kid in uh, in guam you know and it's like but there's this commonality of that we like you had said dan in your setup we, we all want to tell stories and, you know, them comparing notes after hearing, you know, Mammoth talk, it's crazy. It still blows great. my mind, you know? So, yeah, yeah. So that's, so masterclass is very cool. And even if you don't think you'll ever write a, you know, an epic film like uh, Martin Scorsese, if you like a Martin Scorsese film, it's worth it to hear how, how you would ever do right. something like yeah, that. Yeah, I keep wanting to sign up for the, the Werner Herzog one, you know, because uh, I just want to hear that nihilist yes. German accent. <laughs> All right, I think we're going to wrap it up. This is our first episode. Forgive any kludges and stuff along the way as we learn our way through this. Hopefully, <laughs> folks have been um, amused, entertained, informed, want to engage with it. We want to make you part of the program. So send us your questions, your comments, your hopes, your dreams, your desires in written or audio form to nocureforcuriosity.podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we hope you join us next week for our next episode called uh, Will It Blend? which will be figuring out a mix of making art and making a living and seeing where that falls within the world of No Cure for Curiosity. Thank you all, and we are out. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.